When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is September 10th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. And do you know, do you want to know why I think this week is so great? Do you want, do you want to know why? Do you really want to know why? Well, that's because hockey is technically back this week. Training camp starts on Thursday, September 12th. So technically it's back. It's technically back. Doesn't really come fully back until the regular season starts. That's when most people start to care. But hockey is, there's news. There's stuff to talk about. There's stuff to look at and watch and read. And it's fun. Again, thank God. So it was such a long summer of nothing. And so now we got something. We got something to talk about. We got, we got, we, we, we have something to watch, which is good, which is very necessary. So to celebrate this, I had on DJ Bean of NBC Sports Boston, who, we get into a lot of stuff. I didn't think it, this podcast would go as long as it did. We started with training camp and sort of position battles, Anders Bjork, you know, all those guys. And then we got into contract talks because there's some rumblings on the Charlie McAvoy front. Not rumblings, but there's some stuff to talk about with that. You never know. So DJ and I talked about it and you're probably going to want to listen. And then after that, we get into sort of, he asked me a random question when I was wrapping this up. Uh, about where the Bruins would finish in the Atlantic Division. And that took us another, like, 15 minutes. So I think that was probably the most interesting part of the podcast. And it's at the end, which means you got to listen to the whole thing. So I hope you listen to the whole thing anyways, but you're really going to have to this time. But anyways, without further ado, here is my conversation with DJ Bean. And we're here with DJ Bean. DJ, what is up? Nothing, man. I'm very excited to be talking hockey. I was, you asked me to do this and I didn't see a text message that said, Hey, want to come on the podcast? I saw like my phone flashing saying, this is an exercise in you thinking about hockey, which you need to do because your brain hasn't done that in like weeks as it's been nothing but Patriots, Red Sox, whatever. So very excited to be using this part of my brain. Yes, because at heart you're a hockey guy. At heart you're deep at, down. At heart, absolutely a hockey guy. I uh grew up playing hockey and stuff. Like so like hockey was like always like what I did, even if Patriots at, at one point got a lot better than the Bruins and the Celtics got better than the Bruins and everything. Hockey was always the thing that I had and the thing that I did. So hockey, first love, main love. Yeah, hockey's my first and main love, but obviously Sunday night with the Patriots and the Red Sox news with Dombrowski. Obviously, so much, so little of it revolving around the Bruins. But uh, actually, that might change within the next couple of days. We got rumblings of that. We'll talk about that later in this podcast. But first, training camp is upon us this week, September 12th. It's not the biggest thing going on in town, obviously, but it's still something that's happening. The Bruins are coming back after a Game 7 Cup loss last year that we were all uh, present for and maybe not the biggest fans of. Um, but with the Bruins in training camp, there's some some spots open on the roster. 
And they just had their, uh, their prospects challenge out in Buffalo. I think they're still doing it actually as we record this because recording on Monday. This drops Tuesday. Um, the big storyline of it is Anders Bjork. And he really shouldn't be at the prospects challenge because he's not a prospect anymore. He's right. so many young guy. He has the playing time of a prospect, but he's, he's older than that. Um, where do you see Anders Bjork fitting into this whole thing? Well, I mean, right now, Anders Bjork, I feel, is like an 18-year-old playing in junior that like <laughs> that went back after getting drafted. And you always see that happen. You're like, man, they spent a first-round pick on this guy, and he scored 16 goals in junior last year. He must suck. And then he goes back, and he's older, and he's bigger than everybody else, and he scores like 70 goals. And you're like, this is going to be the best player in the world. I feel like maybe we're experiencing that uh, a teeny bit with Anders Bjork, but I mean, when they, when Anders Bjork came aboard and they realized that they had a, a, an actual prospect on their hands with this kid, everybody was thinking top six forward, right? So as you figure out what do you do with the top six, where do you put Pasternak? I mean, perfect world. If you could slide in, if you could slide, slide in Bjork with Marchand and Bergeron and have him be the guy that for a million years, it was always just have those two guys and then put whatever you want next to them. It could be Riley Smith, and maybe Smith will go off and score uh, 20 goals. Or it could be Brett Conley, and he, maybe he'll be good in flashes and, and quiet in flashes. Normally, you can kind of put anybody there. I really like Danton Heinen there, but if uh, best-case scenario, if Bjork could play in that slot, then suddenly you you don't have to worry about moving Charlie Coyle to right wing to play with Krejci because you can put Pasternak there. And then you've got the luxury of playing Heinen on the third line, which, let's face it, offensively, that's probably more where he projects than being a top six guy. And you can play him with Coyle and whomever you want to put on that right wing. Obviously, he could also... uh Bjork obviously could also just be a third line guy and then you kind of do what you've done the last couple of years. Yeah, Bjork's kind of like the guy, the kid who stays back every year in like sixth grade and just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. And it's like, when's this kid gonna, when's this kid gonna get out of here and be a regular student? I mean, I, I look at it from your point of view. Put him on the first line. That if he, if he can play to that potential, which, which we've kind of seen bits and pieces of in the past, that solidifies that eliminates so many of your problems because, as you said, you have a right wing now for Krejci. It's Pasternak. Pasternak and Krejci love working together. Um, on the on the second line, you know, you have DeBrusque on, on the left side. And then on the third line, I don't think Stadnika's ready to be a, a third-line center. You don't want to just throw him right in there. And, and, right. And, and you can see how it works. You can bring him up for parts of the year. It doesn't mean he has to stay there. It doesn't mean once he's up, he's he's up forever. You can bring him back down, but you don't want to hurt his development. Um, and, and this and- group's gotten better at that, too, where they don't think, okay, he's this age or he's this experienced, time to play him, and that's that. I mean, they they absolutely botched the JFK thing, and we could talk about that all day. But, but generally, like with how they handled DeBrusque, they were like, no, we are going to give him like a full – proper year in the AHL and and see what shakes out for him. And I think that with Studnika, you don't rush him. Like if, if he's not if he's not ready, you're you're going you're going to be contending and you're going to be relevant for the first half of the season anyway. So the idea of rushing him right out of the gate, 
I don't think is necessarily smart. And to the Bjork point, I think we should credit Bergeron for becoming more comfortable looking to his right, which is he's never had to do that because he always had, he always had Marshand and he would admit that he'd be like, you know, like I'm just, I'm so used to, to looking to my left because I've, I've, I've got this guy and maybe having Pasternak expedited that. But I think that now playing with, with Bergeron as a right wing is an easier job production wise than, than it used to be. Yeah. And again, like you mentioned the contending aspect, they have four definitive centers. You have Bergeron, you have Krejci, you have Coyle, you have Corrali. That's fine. That's, that's the most ideal scenario you could have at center down right down the middle. That is a Stanley cup, uh, grouping of centers. That just is. And to, if Bergeron to, and Krejci are producing in the Stanley cup, Hey, oh, Hey, oh, you got, I got him there. It's funny. I tweeted out that thing. Cause, um, a few weeks ago when that Boston sports, uh, survey came out, they mentioned how Krejci, I think was the voted second most underachieving player of last year. And I was like, wait a second, this guy had a, tied a career high in points. What are you talking about? And someone replied, well, you know, he didn't show up in the Stanley cup. And I said, well, neither did the top line. And, and Pasternak was like on there at the bottom, but Bergeron and Martian weren't on there. So you can't, and then it wasn't off that standard. So, but getting back to my point, I think that there's no reason, you know, coil on the wing is fine. I mean, that's sure. fine. But it's got to be stable. He's got to be just a winger because, you know, I think it was uh, – somebody said it recently. I can't put my finger on who actually said it. I think it was Sweeney um, said that it was Sweeney. It was Sweeney. And uh, my brain's fried. And he basically said, you know, Charlie's got to play uh, one position and one position only. He, we can't have him going back and forth. That's not what's most comfortable for him. So they have a perfect scenario here where – they can do that. Just put him, put him at center. And then on the wings, you know, if Anders Bjork comes out of training camp being the guy, you put him on the first line, Pasternak down the second line, boom, why aren't we the coaches, DJ? Yeah, seems easy enough. But so that that's sort of my thing with, with Bjork. And then the other thing, real quick before we get to the big news of this, what I think will be this week, um, Zach Sinesian. Mm. This kid, I've been saying this for weeks. I'm going to be an asshole. Sinesian. Whatever. And so, <laughs> I, I don't care. I really just don't. Sedition, sedition, tomato, tomato. I mean, if we were Jack Edwards, we'd go and. I was going to sure say, Jack, Jack and I were the, uh, pronunciation police back in, uh, my, my beat days. I don't know if there's anybody who's a stickler for it now, but like even going into this, I was like, I'm not positive how to pronounce Jack S's last name. Is it Studnika? Like, is it, is it Studnika? Like, I, what's, I, what's hilarious is Cassidy doesn't I think even, it's Studnika, but, Cass- but people have said it both. Well, it's Studnika and then like Studnika. So yeah. it's, it, no one knows which way. I don't know if I it's Neek or Nick. I don't know. But either. I'll tell you, if I were on the beat, man, I would have, I'd be banging down doors knowing how to pronounce that name. That's why you're one of the best. the hell out of people. That's why you're one no, of the best. No, that was the only thing, that was the only thing I did. I just learned how to say people's names and then, uh, and that was it. <laughs> well, Bruce Cassidy can't even say Grizzlich. He says Grizzlich. They're not yeah. Grizzlich. So that's sort of his. Thing. No one is actually nobody on the beat is like super into pronunciation. I that's mean, Jack, because your star. That's because your star player changes the the pronunciation of his name every day. So everyone gave up, which I don't blame them. 
That is true. Oh, that wasn't. That is annoying. Come Nobody on, says, Brad. I don't, yeah. I don't even know what it is at this point. It's just Brad. M. I think that right now it's back to Marshand, but yeah, that was a whole fiasco. That is. It's just, it, what was it? it was it was Marshawn in the eleven playoffs, and then the next year it was yes, Marshawn. And that was a couple years later. He said uh, he said his name in context when I was talking to him for a story, and I was like, "Wait, is it Mar? Is it Marshawn?" And he was like, "Yeah, but it's no big deal." And I was like, "No, people are saying your name wrong. Then like they should, people should know." So uh, I just like put a, I just did like a little blog post saying like, "Hey, I think we're all saying his name wrong." He said today that it's Marshawn, and. Uh, then there was like this big course correction and like even Jack like checked with him and he was like, okay, so it's Marshand. Okay. Even though you had said before it was Marshand. And uh, then a couple years ago, he changed it back to Marshand. So who knows? Yeah. Just call him 63. He, I mean, BM. he's got enough nicknames, good or bad. So yeah. BM 63. I, I don't want any be, be people calling him Marshy though. That'd be a little, uh, that's a little weird. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's, it's a bit chummy. I think I may have called him. I, I, th- I think I've called him Marshy before. I mean, I probably have, but from the outside, I look and go, oh, but in the, in, in yeah. the middle, say it. Um, so Zach S. Mm-hmm. Zach S. Senishin, Senishin. It's like, it's like venison. Senishin. Yes. Zach Senishin. I will never forget that now. Thank you, DJ. Um, so there's a kid. There's a kid. <laughs> 2015 NHL draft, who was part of that class of busts, him and Zaboral. I'm saying mm-hmm. that right. Zaborl. Oh, yeah. And Debrusque. Debrusque isn't a bust on the second line. He's fine. But it's Zaboral and Senishin. There's a chance, and I've been saying this for a little while now, that if Senishin works out on the, uh, somewhere in the lines, makes the team, third line, maybe second line, mm-hmm. right winger, York doesn't pan out. Yeah, he'd, he'd have to be top nine, I'd say. Yes, yeah, the fourth line's pretty much good right now. Um, yeah. Doesn't that change the whole narrative of the 2015 draft? I mean, I know it's no. taken a- Unfortunately, it doesn't. Like, even DeBrusque, like, I'd have to go back and look, but, like, if you make all those picks again, you still don't even take DeBrusque. Well, yes, because you would pick literally the next three people. You would pick right, Shabbat, you would take, you would take Connor, Shabbat, Connor, Mark, and... Uh, and why can't, yeah, and Barzal, right. So even... Like God, God bless Jake DeBrusque. Even if you're making all those picks again, like DeBrusque is just the one that so far hasn't been a bust. He's been a good NHL player, which, I mean, really at uh, at 14 overall, that's nothing to sneeze at. Once you're outside of the top 10 in the first round of the NHL draft, you're basically flipping a coin. So it's a good pick they made. It just wasn't the best pick they could have made. So even him, that wasn't ideal. I mean, it wouldn't maybe wouldn't change the whole narrative, but it it wouldn't be as big of a. If you say you got two NHL players out of it, then you're then it gets more towards what happens with every team, which is you picked this guy seventeenth, and this really good player went at thirty, and it's like, well, it's there's a lot more projection involved in the NHL draft. That's why it's a lot harder than the NFL, where you're choosing between guys who are essentially already NFL players. NHL draft, you're saying, what's this guy going to be in two, three years? As his body is growing, it's an impossible task. Yeah, no, it really is. But the thing is, if if Senishin goes on the second line and he's a and he's a forty, that seems a lot, but a forty point player, and he yeah. keeps going a little bit, stays in that area. 
not a bad pick. That then it ends up not being a bad pick. I right, then the, it ends up being a, a not again like DeBrusque, where wasn't the best pick you could have made, but as you said, technically not a bad pick. Yes, well, but Sweeney and them are definitely probably pushing for this because the 2015 draft is looks so bad on sort of the franchise as a whole that you know. Oh yeah, picks, I mean one, two, three in the first round, and they miss on almost all of them. Yeah, Carlo ended up obviously being a, a saving grace there that he ends up coming in a year after they draft him and becomes a a really steady player. Obviously now he's a he's a good top four guy who was I I, I think we all think fantastic uh last postseason. But it's not amazing when you got three picks in a row in the first round and the story that comes out of it is, hey, they nailed that second round pick. It's Again, and that was in the in the, and it was in that same round that they took JFK who I think uh is like uh, uh a cautionary tale in development with yes. like how quickly they yanked him out of school and like if if they had I feel like if they just left if if they hadn't talked him into to coming out of school I think that he's still stateside and they've got a real prospect on their hands versus we wonder now, is he the second coming of Alex Koklachev? Yeah. Now that whole situation was a debacle. So there's a lot of fun storylines kind of training camp with the roster, but none are as big as the contracts. Sign your players. <laughs> Sign your players. So now that training camp's upon us, the RFAs are plentiful. There's lots of RFAs out there um, that need to be signed to their teams. A lot of good ones. Bruins have uh, have two of them. Yeah, Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, as you all know pretty well at this point. It's pretty much the only storyline of the summer, one of the only ones. Um, So we're recording this Monday, September 9th. Now, McAvoy is not signed yet, but Zach Rowenski, who's a comparable defenseman for the Columbus Blue Jackets, another pending RFA, or another RFA, um, he signed for three years, uh, 15 million. Uh, Contract breaks down as 4 million in year one. Four million in year two, seven million in year three, um, and Bob McKenzie had some interesting things to say on this. He said, uh, and he tweeted, "Nothing imminent on the Charlie McAvoy or Ivan Provorov uh, deals, but with camp opening this week and Wierenski, uh signing to a three-year, fifteen million dollar deal today, expectation is talks on McAvoy and Provorov will heat up considerably in the next day or two. Wierenski could uh, deal could be a catalyst for McAvoy and Provorov, but no guarantee either." Of the two big RFA defensemen, McAvoy has proclaimed his love for Boston, and it would appear he's much more inclined to want a longer-term deal, six, seven, or eight years, question mark, than a bridge deal, two or three. So Bobby Mack doesn't throw those things out there just to throw them out there. That's no. pretty That's pretty. And I, and I, I, I think that the, the Athletic had a piece on it. I, I apologize to whomever wrote it. It was, it was one of the heavy hitters about the waiting game that was occurring with all these RFAs and you use the term catalyst with the, with the forward group and the defense group. It was like one of these guys needs to sign for everyone to have an idea and then similar contracts will go from there. Perhaps I don't like that. The first one that happens is a bridge deal because if I'm the Bruins, I don't want, I don't want to sign Charlie McAvoy to three years and $15 million and then set him up for a huge deal with the next contract. I've said it, if, if you ever watched uh, us on NBC Sports Boston, I've probably said this 6,000 times. I always look 
at the Canadians and PK Subban. And it is such a cautionary tale. He comes off his entry level deal and he'd clearly flashed and he'd clearly shown he's going to be a star. And Mark Bergevin is hesitant to, to give him that huge contract that he wants or to go along with him. And he says, okay, we'll give you a two year bridge deal and see what shakes out. What shakes out is Subban goes out, wins the Norris in the first year of his deal. And next thing you know, that next contract is commanding, I think, what, $9.5 million. And he totally just took that bridge deal and shoved it up the Canadian's ass. And if you are a believer in Charlie McAvoy, you don't want to sign him to a bridge deal because if you believe in him, then you think that he's going to go out and prove himself to be, say, a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. And then when that bridge deal is up in two, three years, you're not looking at $5 million a year, and you're not even looking at the $7.5 million a year that you're probably paying him on a $7 or $8 million deal. You are looking at nine, ten plus, and that is a nightmare for a team that right now is experiencing the pitfalls of mishandling the salary cap. So if you're the Bruins and you believe in Charlie McAvoy, you make the money work. You free up the cap space however you have to do it. Ideally, you hold on to Tory Krug, but you free up the cap space. Right now, you've got something like $7.3 million, and you sign Charlie McAvoy to 7 times 7 or 8 times 7.5, something like that, if he'll take it. So you don't have to worry about that next deal coming soon and coming much, much bigger than you want to pay. Well, the other thing is the Bruins have success at signing their guys young to long-term deals that end up looking cheap, right? Totally. I mean, that's Marshawn, what Pasternak, yeah. Yes, and so why do a bridge deal? Because they're, you know, obviously they're cap-constrained right now. You know, you, this has been said a thousand times. You have McAvoy, you have Carlo, and then you also have Krug next offseason. Um, and people forget also, I'm almost positive Jake DeBrusque is an RFA. Yeah, DeBrusque season. is next season, yeah. So that'll be really fun to, uh, to, to sort through. But again, like, do, do you make it, it is, do you make, um, it, it's, it's not Charlie McAvoy's fault that the Bruins signed David Backus, you know? And if you're the Bruins, you can't say, okay, we're going to let David Backus's situation dictate how we proceed with what could be a franchise player. And franchise player is a, a, a very a, a grand term when you've got Marshawn and Pasternak and Bergeron and these guys on the roster. But to a lot of teams, that's what Charlie McAvoy would be. So you don't let that get in the way of signing Charlie McAvoy to the right contract. You figure out what is the right contract. You you come to, to an agreement, come to terms with, hey, what's it going to take to sign you for seven, eight years? And then once you know what that is, you ship out whoever you got to ship out and it's going to be a hit, but you've got your star player under contract for, for the right terms. I would so rather do that than say, okay, let's just squeeze them in for a couple of years and then kick that can down the road because down the road, you're going to be in even worse shape than you are in now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The long-term deal makes more sense because again, like it's going to look expensive now. People are going to say, well, McAvoy hasn't lived up to it. You know, we, we think he's going to be this, but we don't really know. But he's projecting to be a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. Um, and if, let's say, as you said, they sign him to seven and seven or seven and seven and a half or something, that's going to look cheap when he's a top 10 defenseman in the NHL three For years sure. down the road. And they have him completely locked up, no problem. And he wants to be here. 
he wants to be here. And they're, and again, they're good at giving these team friendly deals. They're good at getting guys to buy into, to, to sort of the team and taking less. You know, Troy Krug had said to, uh, Emily Kaplan last week that he, he'd probably take less. So my next question along the lines of Tory Krug, if you had to do it, which I don't know if you really have to yet, would you trade Krug in order to, free the cap space for McAvoy or would you even need to do it? I don't think that you would need to, but that would be, that would be the quote unquote easy thing to do because teams would be lining up to trade for Tory Krug. And by trading him, you're freeing up realistically four and a quarter, right? Because you're probably replacing that roster spot with somebody making a million or less. So, in the in the meantime, it allows you to say sign Brandon Carlo at four and sign McAvoy at seven ish, right? I'm doing everything I can though if I'm the Bruins to to hold on to to Krug, especially if he says he's going to take uh, a a hometown discount, which I totally believe he would do. He loves Boston. Everybody always says how much they love Boston. Krug has kind of put his money where his mouth is there. He moved to Boston after like a year or two playing here. Like he legitimately loves Boston, loves being a Bruin is a, I mean, hell, if we're going to kiss David Backus's ass all day for how good he is in the room, then let's do it with the other guys who are good in the room. Tory Krug is right at the top of that list. Like, it would be a shame to lose a player and a person the caliber of Tory Krug over this. So the alternative is like paying a team to take David Backus or really like shaving off like two or three guys off your roster and scrimping and saving for the next couple of years. And that's, that's dealing off Kevin Miller. That's dealing off, um, John Moore. That's dealing off John Moore and losing that guy uh in losing that asset to to hold throughout an expansion draft so like there would be there would be hits you'd have to take there but if Tory Krug will come back at a reasonable price and I don't know what that is uh then you do everything you can to make sure that that you can actually live up to to your end of that that's the thing you can't losing but I think some people look at him and they're like you know what he's short whatever they can replace him I'm like man like it's been like you, you haven't had players like him. Like, wh- why are you so dumb about this? It's like it's it's similar to like the Tuca thing. Like, man, forever you didn't have good goaltending, and then you had it with Tuca or with Thomas, and then Tuca, and you're and now you think that like good goaltending just grows on trees. Guys like Tory Krug, this isn't like a, a height joke. Like they do not grow on trees. <laughs> and the other thing is that Krug, you know. It's not like he was this highly regarded prospect. I mean, he was a winger in college, you know, and they just make him into this great offensive defenseman. He's had unbelievable success here. There aren't many guys in the NHL like him. There aren't. They're great offensive defensemen, obviously. Right. But it is size. And, and the other thing is they don't have to pay him as much because, I mean, he's good in the defensive zone. Don't get me wrong, but he's not a shutdown guy in his, in his own no, zone. No, he could, he hold. I I would say that I don't know. Average average is tough because you're saying like average relative to like a much bigger guy, but um 
I remember Claude used to say like he doesn't have to be Chara. He like if he can just go out and be like Brian Rafalski, who wasn't the biggest guy, but could could manage in the defensive zone. And that's kind of how I feel about Krug defensively. I'm never gonna think that he's like that he's I don't know like anything special defensively, but A, when he's out there, he's generally not in his own zone, so you don't really need to worry about that. And B, he's responsible defensively. So I think that people way overlook the the like, oh well he's small and he's not great in his own zone. He makes up for any deficiencies in spades. Yes. And the other thing is I think people totally undersell how good he is on the power play and how if you lose a guy like him, you're not getting a power play quarterback of that caliber anywhere else. I mean, you know, Matt Grizzlick, maybe McAvoy, like kind of, but nowhere to the extent of Tory Krug. Are you going to No, Tory Krug was born to run a power play. Correct. At the right at the top of the key, right Mm -hmm. at the top blue line, friggin' Passing around, beautiful. That's, that is literally why he was put on this earth. And people totally overlooked that for, oh, you know, he's, he's a little small. Oh, he's, you know, he's, he didn't seem that great in his defensive zone. Well, also, he's with Brandon Carlo. Like, that's sort of why yeah. they're, they offset, you know, Brandon Carlo's the shutdown guy in his own zone. Tory Krug is the offensive wizard. It, 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 this playoffs showed how good that works. And why not, not to make this that? like, not to make this like the body issue of this podcast. When people talk about how Tory Krug is small, he is a bull. Like he yeah. is like a thick ass dude. And yes. I think that people just just look at his height and they're like, he's small. Like he is. I, I've said I've said this a million times. It sounds crazy, but he's like he's one of those people that like if you were to see in street clothes, you're like that is a person I would have no interest in messing with. Yeah. And he's like, he's obviously like a, a small man, but he is like a, he is a, a, a bull. He's a tank. He is. And, and, and again, like the Robert Thomas hit. Granted, he had a million, he right. had a ton of momentum with him, but he leveled him. Leveled him. Yeah. And he, and he, and, and he has those hits during the season where he goes up against a guy who's taller, but not necessarily bigger. And he, and he wrecks them, you know? And people yeah. just totally miss that. So again, I, like, if you, they got to find a way to keep Krug and be able to sign McAvoy to a solid deal and Carlo, because Carlo seems like a pretty obvious, you know, give him six, seven years at four million. That sort of seems correct. That, yeah, that would be if he would do that. I would do that in a heartbeat because I don't know how much more he could actually. um how much more his value would go up? Like what more he could do? I just think that year by year, the market could maybe get a little bit bigger. So if you lock him in now, like like what he's doing right now, you could sign him for $4 million. But if he does it in say 2023 and he's a free agent, then he's probably like five and a half million dollars. So if, well, you could, thing- if you could lock him in at that number now, that's what I would do. The other thing is, you know, we sort of saw how good of a shutdown defenseman he can be, but that's not worth as much as saying off, like an off of, off right. defense, if they show signs of it can hit, you know, 60, 70 points in a year. And then it's like, whoa, right. that's a lot of cash for them. But if he's just a shutdown defenseman who's really good in his own zone, that's very valuable to a team. Don't get me wrong. But 
Yeah, but those numbers aren't going to go up, so it's not going to be like, right. Exactly. So the numbers, you can't really measure it that well, and it's not worth as much as an offensive defenseman. And so that's the thing with him. So if you, if, and I think I've said this all, we've all said this all summer. If you can sign him long term to a, you know, a four, four and a half million dollar deal, awesome. Awesome. And so this whole contract thing, I can't wait till it comes to an end because this has literally like been it for Bruins. That's what's kind of confusing for me. Like, why haven't they just gotten Carlo done? And, and then say with McAvoy, we don't have the money yet. We're going to have to create it once we know what you're going to cost. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe then like there would be some perception of it would be more direct. You could tie, uh, when someone's gone, like, Oh, they got rid of this guy to sign McAvoy. So I don't know. Maybe that would be some like messed up pressure to put on the kid. But I mean, you've got the money right now, certainly to get, uh, to get Carlo done. So I'm surprised that they wouldn't just, just wrap that up. They literally like took the summer off. It's funny. Bob McKenzie tweeted, uh, one agent observing the RFA dynamic with NHL training camp set to open this week said, quote, we're going to try to do in two or three days what we haven't been able to do in two or three months. Uh, and then Bob McKenzie adds, the opening of camp is not by any means a hard deadline, but it is a pressure point of sorts. That's the thing. Like, you have all summer. I mean, granted, Sweeney and them have been think- most likely been thinking about this and know where they want to go with negotiations, but you know, you got to get these things done. You got to yeah. get these things done. And now it's really crunch time. Now you actually have to do this stuff. And Sweeney can go out and say that he wants to have these guys as Bruins for a life forever, but they got to find common ground with, with contracts. But again, he's good at that. The Bruins are good at that. So yeah, yeah. I, I will, uh, I don't doubt Sweeney's, uh, contract extension acumen in the slightest. I mean, if there's one thing that guy can do, it's that. And obviously he's done some other things well. But it is kind of funny, you know, see him win GM of the year and you're like, man, like I, I get it. Like the team went further than, than people thought they would go. But like the good shit that he did, like wasn't necessarily this past year. Like, like he, like I'm giving him that GM of the year for signing David Posternock a couple years ago and for signing David, uh, and for signing Brad Marchand a few years ago. Well, that's sort of the thing that you get GM of the year so far after maybe the things you did best, at least. Right, to earn it, yeah. So uh, what, I want to hear your guess. Do you think the McAvoy signing happens this week? Ooh, I don't know. I'm not connected anymore, man. Not, not that I, like, that, that, that sounded very, uh, like. Don't sell shot. yourself short. Yeah. No, no, but I, I mean, I'm just like, I just, I, I don't text agents or, like, people in the know anymore no i just uh, mean like take a guess do you think it happens yeah um my guess is my guess is no i would say i don't know i'm just i'm just used to it not being done so i think that's, that's, my, a good that's my thought too it's like i can't see a world where it actually happens it's been so long where like we've been waiting i mean marissa and jammy from the herald was on a few weeks ago and she was like i was literally on call to to uh to write something up on the McAvoy carlos signings if it were to happen for like weeks on end and yeah. nothing and so i think that it's just like a norm now where it's like yeah it's just never gonna happen but it will what will bug dis- me what will bug me though is when people start saying that uh that it's a holdout that's uh that that's where my like pronunciation police stickler thing pops up it's not a holdout if the player doesn't have a contract like the reason these guys aren't going to be in camp is 
to be frank, Don Sweeney. Like it, it is not Charlie McAvoy's fault that he doesn't have a contract. It is the situ, the cap situation that their team and their general manager put them in, not leaving them enough money to sign these players. Like a few years ago when, uh, when Krug and Riley Smith didn't have contracts, Peter Shirley's fault. He signed Jerome McGinley the year before, knew what he was getting himself into, cap overages, et cetera, et cetera. Those players were not holding out. They wanted to play. They wanted to have contracts. The team just couldn't afford it. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to sort of see what happens because it's just like, it's got to happen one of these days, but it doesn't feel like it should happen. I don't know. It's all Can I ask thing. you a question? I, I, we're, I, I think we're wrapping up here, right? Yeah, we're wrapping up. Okay, so uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, this this is probably not relevant for a training camp uh, preview, but uh, where do you think the Bruins finish in the Atlantic this this season? So this is something I've been thinking about. Um, the more I look at it, and this is a whole other podcast, but who cares? of course, I yeah. Um, the Lightning are coming off being swept in the first round. They have the, pretty much the exact same team. They have not won yet, so they're going to come back really hard they're going to be in first again agree the maple leafs got better so no much talked, agree so, so much, much agree better. you you trade out nazim kadri who was a detriment i don't care what his points are he yes. got so many penalties in playoff games that that were suspensions and in five minute majors that helped the bruins so much you beat the leafs twice because of nazim kadri, nazim kadri. and he's gone now he's on the other side of the country he's in colorado and they added tyson berry who's one of the league's really good offensive defensemen so, all right, there's another defenseman. They don't have defense. Now they kind of do. You have Morgan Riley. You, you have, uh, Jake Muzzin. You also have Tyson right. Berry. So there's the Leafs. And then, so I, I don't know if I'm Say ready it. to. They're going to fit. They're, they're the third best team in the Atlantic. So, I think they no, are. I'm fine. No, I, I'm fine with saying they're going to be third. I think the question is, People are, I think, also forget about the Panthers. Now, I don't think they're going to be ahead of the Bruins. Wow. I don't think they'll be. I do not think they'll be ahead of the Bruins. But they're good in net, at least during the regular season. Oh, yeah. And they're actually pretty solid up front. You know, you have Barkov, Huberto. Yep. Good team. Achari. On defense, they add, Achari, of course. On defense, they added Anton Strahlman. So mm-hmm. that's a good addition. Why not? They could be a wild card team. That's a, I mean, that, they, that is a dark horse team. I, I, I like that pick. I mean, my point was, I, I asked you that to say last two years, you've gone seven games with the Leafs. Uh, I think that the Bruins are going to be probably the three seed this year. And I think that right now, I don't know that I necessarily take the Bruins in a seven game series against the Leafs given. Huh. That they, they struggled a lot. Like, I, I thought that they were the much better team than the Leafs the last two years. And for whatever reason, you needed Nazem Kadri to lose his mind a couple times in order to help you pass them. And they really struggled to points, especially this past, uh, this, uh, past first round against the Leafs. So like, you've barely gotten out of the first round the last two years. And yes, one of them yielded a cup run thanks to some splendid goaltending, but man, we get this thing where it's like, oh, they just went to the cup, so uh they're going to go to the cup again, and that'll be that. I hate to say it. Like, you look at it, and it's like, man, they barely got out of the first round, and the team that they barely beat got a hell of a lot better, and you're going to play them again in the first round. And if they're in third place, they don't have home ice. So yep. there's that. And you're, you're you're also forgetting the Lightning did not make it to the second round last year. 
Oh yeah, and, Lightning are Lightning are going to be like the 2011 yeah, Bruins. They're going to hit the postseason, being like, "All right, we're embarrassed. We get it." And obviously, it took the 2011 Bruins a few games to to figure it out. But once yes. they figured it out, they were like, "All right, nobody is touching us." Well, and on that, it's pretty common. Uh, maybe not in recent years, but it seems like a normal trend where you go to the cup and then the next year you kind of, you know, short off season. Yeah. You naturally you're out in the first or second round. And the way the division's going to play out, the Leafs are bound to make it past the first round one of these years. If there was to be a year where they make it past, it's 100% this year. Because what happened last year was total luck on part of the, on who they faced. The Bruins played well enough, obviously, to the cup final, but came along without the Lightning, without the Penguins or the Capitals or, or any of those teams, that's not going to happen again. So you and, heard it here first. Trade Bergeron to out west and offer Sheet Marner so the so you can beat the, the Leafs in the, the first round this year. That was Wiggy who said it first. It was not you. Wiggy said trade Bergeron first. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I couldn't even. Yeah, isn't that wild? One could say one could throw out a crazy take like that. And not get you heard it here first credit. Wiggy on hockey, man, though. I love Wiggy on hockey. A, because he's awesome at hockey. He is a great hockey player. And B, because he just like looks at it a totally different way. And obviously a lot of the stuff he says, like the like Chara being a healthy scratch, just sounds so off the wall and you're like, all right, this is wrong. But he's put a lot of stuff out there that I'm like, man, like I never thought of it that way. And you're on to something. So, well, because first of all, there's two things. Number one, any crazy take you make up, Wiggy's probably thought of it first. And second, secondly, I feel like there's a weird thing. Now I've been doing Bruin stuff for like um, maybe a little over a year now. So I'm not really into it. You know, I don't know the thought process of everybody, but it feels like Bruins people are very afraid of thinking outside the box. It's very oh, narrow. Yeah. It's very, like I said, trade Halak during the off season. And you would have thought I killed somebody. Oh yeah. My guy, very Tommy crazy. Giles was a, a big driver of that bus too. Yeah. People are very afraid of looking outside. And sometimes I am too. I tweeted after Wiggy said that about Bergeron. I said, I'm going to come and say it. I don't think the Bruins trade Bergeron. And people were like, you're right. You're totally right. Like it went viral. And I'm like, this is such a stupid thing. But but it, people are afraid to to think out of the box, especially on the Bruins, because everyone's so real and, and it's cool. Like people are like that, but nobody actually throws stuff out. Nobody. It's very you know, right down the middle, narrow minded. It's it's you know, you don't think of stuff like that. But it's totally po- It's it is more possible than not that the Bruins finish in third place this year. I don't see why that's like a hot. Yeah, thing to I, 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 I mean, it, it brings me no joy, especially. I mean, I'll t- I say it brings you no joy. It brings me so much less than no joy because I hate when good things happen to Toronto sports teams. Like my favorite thing, like I watch sports so I can see Toronto fans be sad. It it absolutely sucked watching the Raptors win, win a title this year. Like I like watching Toronto fans get excited about their Toronto team and then see their Toronto team lose. It's a tale as old as time. I follow a lot of uh, pals from Toronto on Twitter so I can see the tweets of, hey, th- this team is special. No, it's not. They're going to lose. I can't wait to see it. But I think that this, I think that this year I, I could easily see, and I would say that it's even realistic to say that the Leafs will go farther than the Bruins. 
and it's fun in this town when the Bruins are making a run because then then they become the number one uh, topic in town. You know, right now obviously it's the Patriots. You know, Bruins and Celtics sort of get their looks right after the Super Bowl ends. And if they're not good, it's kind of like the one time where everyone looks to them and goes, ah, well, whatever. And you don't want that. Like this year was fun because everyone was in on the Bruins and watching them. And when you're like hockey people like us, you love that because it's, it's, that is such a, a bit that's different. such a good point. Like and people forget that. And, and you want people to yeah. have your, their eyes on your sport. Like Felger and Bruins after the, after the Super Bowl for more than a minute. So that's, that's when it comes. That's, right. that's when you get the balls in the sport. And if they're out in, you know, April 15th or, or a little after that, then what is there left? Well, what the hell is there? Yeah. My, my favorite feeling in Boston sports now that, that you bring it up is when the Bruins are making a run and everybody is just all Bruins all the time. And that's a bit contradictory to the normal Bruins fan way of thinking, which is if you don't watch every game and you're not like, you're not as big a Bruins fan as me. I'm the biggest Bruins fan. Therefore, I'm better than you. Like, I feel like that is finally, uh, and I think like people your age are helping it, Evan, like that you're like, yo, you're watching, oh, you're watching the Bruins now? Cool. Do you want to talk about the Bruins? Let's talk about the yes. Bruins. Aren't the Bruins yes. so great? It's like, isn't hockey the best? And it was always like when I was growing up, it was like, you liked hockey or you sucked. And Michael Hollywood always bring this up. He'd be like, why can't I just be a guy <laughs> who likes hockey and basketball? Like it was like, yeah. like people would be like, you either like one or you like the other. And it's like, is it really impossible for a sports fan to like two sports and two sports? That's like, I'm experiencing this now as I've uh, really gotten into basketball these last few years. Like the NBA is awesome. And it's so exciting. I still love the NHL just as much as I've always loved the NHL, but there for sure used to be a thing. Where if you were a hockey fan, it was like, man, you are either with us or you get the hell out and you never even come here when they, when you, when the playoffs come. It's the stupidest thing because it ruins it. It ruins it. Like if you want to come be a diehard fan of the Bruins from, or diehard fan of hockey from yeah. April to, to June when the cup ends, fine. Fine. Cause then you see how great hockey is. I have so many friends. I grew up with a lot of, different sport friends and they would all kind of be like you know hockey's not my favorite thing but playoff hockey's the best and i'm like yeah. damn fucking right it is like yes it is and 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 if that could get you to watch a few more regular season games then why not aren't we all trying to grow some sort of sport why are we just sitting here going well you either like it or you hate it you can't actually have both you have to just you have to love it you have to watch every single regular season game i don't get that let right, it grow like if, if people are going to not watch a basket, a college basketball game all season and then shut down their lives for March Madness, let them do that with hockey too. That's what I yeah. mean. I'll tell you what, like I don't watch a lot of like Dallas stars during the regular season. I think I get the, uh, the, the center ice package or whatever. I, uh, I usually right. get whichever one I can do on, on the iPad. And, uh, I'll, I'll pick off random games, uh, here and there throughout the, the season when I can, when I can watch if I'm not working, but I mean, both my schedule now, I, I work, uh, Monday through Friday at night, so I can only kind of watch stuff in the background. But man, I used to, 
go from in the regular season only really watching the Bruins and the Habs and like the, the, the relevant teams to me to when it got to the playoffs every night I would sit on my couch and, and as I'm sure you do all the time and just watch every playoff game I can watch. And that, that, those were my plans for Every night, five nights a week, just watch all the playoff hockey you can watch. Okay, Saturday weekend rolls around. Cool, I'm doing the same thing, just watching hockey. Now, I don't, I, I'm watching all these Dallas Stars games when I wasn't watching them in the regular season. Like, I, I feel like I'm not going to have Dallas Stars fans come at me and be like, turn it off. You weren't watching the whole thing. It's like, if, if you want to get excited about hockey, Hell yes, do it. And if you're a diehard hockey fan, welcome people. I mean, they say please like my sport for a reason. Yes, I agree 100%. Uh, last year, my girlfriend's formal. Uh, I was missing a Bruins playoff game, and I had it on my phone the whole time because I'm like, why am I like not watching? <laughs> it's not normal. So, yes, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. That turned into a whole whole thing about hockey. To, and- yeah, I just, I just really wanted to hit the Atlantic Division uh, for a second with you. But I'm glad that that turned into a uh, a hockey exclusivity uh, <laughs> discussion. Yes. No, it's it's totally relevant. And during the season preview, maybe I'll have you back on and we can sort of dive deeper on the whole Atlantic Division thing because I think it's something everyone's overlooking. But for now, we're going to yes. do a training camp and contract. So, DJ, thank well, this you for will be on. this will be the the one thing that Wiggy didn't say before us. If the yes. if the Leafs yes. do better than the Bruins, we'll be like, no, no, swear to God, you heard it here first. We Wiggy did not beat us to this one. Wiggy did not beat us to the Bruins. Probably will finish in third place this year. There's some people. There's a, there's the occasional guy on Twitter who'll be like, the Bruins won't even make the playoffs. The Bruins are going to suck. So they, they a broken clock is right twice right. a day. But I don't think they'll be right on that. Anyways, DJ, thank you for coming on. DJ, do you have anything you want to plug before I let you go? Hey, anything that, that – I'm going to plug hockey. Check it out. Yes. It's an incredible oh. sport. Whenever it's on any level, it's it's. I mean, don't just, like, randomly go to, like, kids' games if you don't know the kids. But <laughs> any hockey, so go watch it. If you want to play it, do it. Hockey, the best. That's my plug. I agree with you on that plug. Anything hockey is good. Anything hockey is great. And also check out Boston Sports tonight and anything NBC Sports Boston that DJ or anybody else is on because it's a great Hell program. Yeah. And the brunch podcast while we're plugging. Yeah. And, and that. And you can listen to any podcast you want as long as you listen to this one first. Anyways, DJ, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'll see you probably around hockey season. And uh, for CLNS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You guys have a great week. 